From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. The Academy Awards are coming up on March 12th, so I wanted to recommend a couple of Oscar-nominated movies that fans of the podcast might enjoy. And there was one person in the world I was hoping to interview for this episode, my favorite film critic of all time, Alyssa Wilkinson, the senior culture writer at the website Vox. Nobody writes on the intersections of cinema and theology and spirituality like Alyssa does. Over and over again, she finds angles that no other critics see. Like, you have to check out her essay on how contemporary Christmas movies that talk all about how the holidays are a time for miracles are totally devoid of, well, miracles, at least in the way we traditionally understand them. No matter her subject matter, Alyssa writes essays that are profound, funny, moving, and eminently readable. I'm so grateful she found a free chunk of time in the middle of the crazy movie award season, and also in the middle of her job as a college professor, to talk to me about two of my favorite Best Picture nominees, Women Talking and The Banshees of Inisherin. I asked Alyssa about both films and what makes them especially compelling for a Catholic audience. I also asked her about what goes into the art of criticism more broadly and what she thinks about the current trend of depicting religious communities on the big screen. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Well, Alyssa Wilkinson, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, imagine not as busy as you in the middle of all kinds of you know, award seasons and stuff. Do you find yourself like, is this a busy time for a film critic? It is a very busy time. Yeah. The Oscars are in, uh, I think, a month, maybe maybe a month exactly, something like that. So um, yeah, it's sort of a collision of everything from last year, plus all the new stuff from this year. The Sundance Film Festival just happened. Um, yeah. So it's it's pretty much the height of the season. Yeah, sure. So again, to find that time, I feel like it's calling up a tax attorney in March or something. It just is not the best time, but I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your taking no the time. No worries. And I, it's also the time that I often am talking to people about movies, so yeah, it all makes perfect sense. <laughs> right. And I did, you are my favorite film critic, and I wanted to ask you about a couple of movies nominated for Oscars um, mm -hmm. that Catholic audience might be interested in and sure. um there were a few there's always some it seems like and we can talk about this later but it seems like there's a lot of like kind of faith themes in movies mm -hmm. and plays and books these days maybe that's just mm -hmm. how it goes um but the, the two i wanted to ask you about that i have seen and i have three young kids so i see very few current movies but i did see these two um women talking the sarah Polly movie based on a novel by uh, miriam tapes and then uh, the banshees of inner sharon so we'll do, let's do um, women talking first can just jump right in. So for folks who don't know, I'll just do like a quick plot thing uh, is inspired well, based on this novel inspired by a really terrible true story. Um, it's kind of a fictionalized version, um, a community of like ultra conservative Mennonites and over like a hundred women kind of serially raped uh, mm -hmm. and were well, drugged and raped by men in their community. Again, this happened in Bolivia in the early 2010s. And then Miriam Taves kind of did like a novelization, kind of taking it from mm -hmm. there and going. Um, so, yeah, so that, 
and then just the women themselves and having to decide like what they're going to do kind of after this has come up, whether they stay and do nothing or they fight or they, they leave. Um, and so for you kind of like watching this, there's a whole bunch of reasons I think why this is like a must watch for Catholics, but what about the movie kind of grabbed your attention? Um, well, I had read the book when it came out um, or shortly thereafter and uh, enjoyed it. It's a, it's a interesting book. It's very sort of the title is very descriptive of the book in that it's mainly women having conversations, these particular women. And um, it's sort of an imagination of conversations of women who have been through this traumatic experience, um, conceiving of things like what is justice and what do we do when the people that we're we're supposed to trust in that we believe God has appointed as our leaders um, have done this thing. Like, what what is it that we do? Are we risking our eternal salvation for, you know, if we leave or if we fight back or whatever? So I knew kind of what the story would be. Um, and I knew that Sarah Polly would be a great match, I think, to direct it. Um, she's a very innovative filmmaker. Um, probably her best movie is Stories We Tell, which is a documentary about her family that um, really is kind of one of the seminal works in contemporary documentary filmmaking in that it interrogates the nature of truth. And so that's a little bit of what Women Talking is actually doing is thinking about what do we do with the truth and how do we live it? And what if, like, is there no good solution to this problem of evil um and in a sense they say yeah there there isn't <laughs> you know that that to solve it would be to diminish it um so i saw the movie at the toronto film festival which is a long time ago now september labor day weekend um of 2022 um and prior to seeing the movie, I reread the book because it had been a couple years, and I also tend to forget everything that I read or watch, and um, w was delighted that I one of the things I had forgotten was that there are some very clear uh, references to uh, St. Augustine in the novel. Uh, from the novel is actually narrated by a character who's sort of a minor character in the movie, uh, a man named August. His mother's name is Monica. He um, he remembers being cast out of the community as a youngster, and he thought it was because he and his friends stole pears from a tree. So, like, you, you know that this is uh, an Augustine reference. Um, so I was especially excited to see it and see how that was handled. And uh, what I wrote about when I when I sat down to write about it at the festival was that, you know, the movie changes some stuff from the book, of course. Um, and it does that in some ways because you could, there's not really a great way to adapt the, the book as is into a movie. And also because they're going for a slightly different effect with it. Um, but some of the same questions are there, especially about the question of like the establishment of a just society on earth. Um, and, is that possible? Um, you know, what does that look like? How do we live in community with one another in kind of a just way? Um, you know, a lot of the kind of questions that are obviously drawing out of the original novel. So, uh, so it was a pleasure to see from for that reason. And also because, you know, it's a film that's filled with great, great actors and immensely great performances, which is especially difficult when the entire 
you know, everything in your movie is just basically talking. In fact, I think there's more talking in the movie than there is in the <laughs> book, if that's if that's possible. Yeah, and, and I felt like it could be a play as well, certainly. Yes. Had that had that vibe, and that'd be an interesting adaptation as well. Um, so, and you wrote in a, an essay when you were... Uh, talking about your own work of criticism that I think the author said to you, like you were the only critic who kind of noticed some of these Augustinian themes. I I was Um, a bit surprised when I read the novel. I was like, well, obviously I'm not the first person to read this novel. Like book critics, they've read Augustine. So I started researching um, on the internet and then slowly diving into like academic journals and stuff because I was like, somebody must have written about this. This movie came out years ago. Um, and I could only find one super oblique reference in like a like a report on a talk that someone gave at a symposium but hadn't been published or collected anywhere. Um, and so I did a panel with um, with Sarah Pauly and Miriam Taves and Frances McDormand and Dee Dee Gardner, who produced the film. And uh, Miriam said, oh, yeah, like nobody wrote about that. And it kind of shocked me. Um, and it shocks me now uh, in in retrospect. Yeah. So, I mean, and as you, I think, were saying in your review of the movie, there's a lot of those things that are like those surface level similar like things that you could see that, that set that alarm off that are not there. Right. We don't hear the mother uh, of August. We don't hear about that specific crime of stealing pears, which is, a, you know, a, a, right out of Augustine's story. Uh, so you don't have like that level. But as you're saying, like, there's some of those themes that would be have been big for Augustine about, like, how do we build the city of God? Like, what are we doing here? How do we? relate to each other to sin and redemption that are, are certainly there still yeah. like at the heart of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's very much it. And it's also this kind of, um, uh, well, you'll have to forgive me. I grew up evangelical and so all my language, uh, comes from there. Um, but, uh, but the sort of idea of dwelling in tension between what, what what you expect in the world to come and what is of the world that you're in um and trying to to reconcile that with the questions of authority and of um and of evil which i think we're you know those are like especially resonant i think at this point no matter what um what tradition you come from because we've all been through our own and are going through our own sets of not just scandals, finding out that bad things happen, but I think more, um, you know, more disheartening is knowing that the evil was covered up by people who are supposed to be protecting you and doing good. And that I think is something that women talking is directly wrestling with in a way that I basically have never seen at the movies. And it's doing it within the context of a religious, um, community um, and within the context of a community that really believes in authority um, being vested in particular men. And so that was, I think, especially important um, as I was watching it, uh, even though that I didn't write about that too much because that wasn't where my audience is at, but I've been surprised by how little to no writing I've seen on it outside of um you know, maybe like in religious publications or something like that, because I think it's really powerfully handled. And it's also very subtly handled. There's, there's things in the film that definitely are things you've heard people say before. But they're always said in response to other characters, like it's always a dialogue and, uh, and almost an argument. 
Um, it's never just someone getting up on a soapbox and yelling something and everyone being like, yeah, we agree, like they're in an Aaron Sorkin film. It is not that kind of a movie. Um, so I do hope that people actually sit down and watch it and talk about it um, because I think the questions it's asking about how do we deal with, with a community that like actively harmed its most vulnerable members and doesn't apologize for that uh, is, is certainly one that a lot of people are grappling with right now. Yeah. And including Catholics, uh, mm -hmm. certainly as you know, as you're talking, that's a big question, even you know, for the, the Jesuits, like, what do you, what do you do? And what I found interesting, as you're saying, like sometimes like whether these things are depicted in the, that power struggle, maybe you yeah. have like those scenes, right. In which, or like someone who has been, hurt is up against the abuser and they're like, you know, and they're having it out. Whereas this takes, you don't see really besides August, you really don't see men in the movie at all, right? It is those right. who have suffered the trauma and puts the spotlight entirely on them. The You see the results of the evil. And then, yeah. but th that focus, I'm sure that was a very intentional decision. Are there, I, are there in the book, are there more male appearances? Like, what did you think of that? The way they really kind of just focused exclusively on yeah, I mean there are more. Uh, the 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 feeling in the movie and in the book is that there is. So the men have just left the community because they uh, are being. I'm trying to remember if they're being tried or not. Yeah, so the well, book. They, it's something like the book, that. Right, they yeah. they've had to go to the city mm. nearby. And we should say this is set in Bolivia, but the these um these this community is sort of an insular community of European immigrants who immigrated, I believe, in the 1860s, and this community does exist. Um, and in there's other things in the book, like, for instance, the women don't even speak the language um, of the outside world. They only speak low German, which really keeps them, and they're, they're illiterate um, and kept illiterate um, on purpose. So... So there's all that. But yeah, the 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 presence of the community leader, Peters, is uh, he's not there really, um, but he's talked about a lot and he's a much more significant presence in the book than he becomes in the movie. There's I won't spoil it, but there are some added elements that really add a punch in the book, I think, um, overall that you sort of find out along the way. And there are also talks of men in neighboring communities there's also a man who's kind of a a simpleton i guess is probably the word they the women use um in their community so there, there's sort of extra characters but it is clear that you know this is a book i believe they that miriam taves called it a work of female imagination which is a term that was carried over and used in the movie um, and it's supposed to be almost like a parable or a fable or something as uh, even more than like a realistic thing. And so in the way that the women do represent different types of viewpoints, um, even though they are their own people and they make jokes and they have backstories and their characters, the men also represent like what a, what a society of women has to grapple with um when they're thinking about men <laughs> you know there's there's different positions that they come from and there's different ways of thinking about them and one question that rules uh their dialogue for a while is if we if we leave like if we flee and leave and um, go somewhere else do we bring the teenage boys with us or are is the, are have they already been so inculcated into the way that 
men of this community think that there's kind of no safety in bringing them and you know so that's not really a question about fully fleshed out characters that's a question about a type of person and you know the same question appears for some outsiders from the community and august himself is a important figure um more important in the book but definitely important in the movie along those lines as well um and he's grappling with it as well um as someone who did not participate in these horrible activities is completely offended by them and angry about them, but also doesn't know if he has a place in this society. So it kind of gets into these larger, I guess systemic is the right word for it, um, issues in the way people are taught and educated and the way their like moral imaginations are formed um, inside of insular communities. And, and I think there are many kinds of insular community, but certainly the religious kind is one that's really crucial to think about in that context. Yeah, I mean, I know one of the things that the Jesuits now are working a lot on is how do we work with descendants of Jesuit slaveholding mm, and yes. address that somehow. And that was a yeah. work that we've done. it. So that is not, not something that this individual, these individual Jesuits participated in, but they're part of this system of oppression and obviously like certainly benefited the Jesuits historically benefited from this and those benefits have continued to this day. And so kind of yeah. reckoning with that. And so you can see August kind of doing some of that. Like, again, I, I, I'm not guilty here, but I'm part of something and I feel like that kind of disconnect. And I do think mm -hmm. too, for me, like one thing as like a Jesuit person, like the values, one of the key values for the Jesuits is communal discernment. So the sense of this community mm -hmm. coming together to talk about like what to do and how to respond to things and just how to move forward. Um, and so in this way, like I found this movie, like the, one of the most powerful like depictions of communal discernment I've ever seen. And it reminded me a lot actually of, of gods and men, which is like, so the Cistercian mm. monks, the Tiberine mm -hmm. Abbey or the monastery in Algeria, working yeah. with this community, uh, predominantly Muslim community and the civil war and what's going to happen to us. Do we stay or do we go? Right. So yeah. certainly different contexts, but in, in the way they bring you into that community, making decisions and also being rooted in their faith too, which I love that the movie yeah. didn't like make the faith like, which they it could have like this kind of strange, like, Oh, look at that oddity. But they like the women really still in their faith and rooted in scripture, trying to discern based on their, their faith, yes. what might we be, be called to in these moments? Yeah. There's another movie that um, it made me think of, which is Anne Fontaine's movie, the innocence from a few years ago, which uh, is also based on a historical happening which is that a group of, it's World War II, and a group of soldiers raped a whole convent full of nuns who are all now pregnant, and they're all kind of at the same stage of pregnancy. And this doctor, this French woman doctor from the outside is called in to kind of take care of them. Um, but they're all in various stages of, of uh, well, mourning and grief and also just trying to figure out, like, my life has now the the vows I've made. What are they now? My life has been radically altered. Does it even like why would this even happen if God cared? Um, and it's all seen from the perspective of this outside doctor who is an atheist, avowed atheist, and is just kind of there as a humanitarian. It's a really interesting, really good film. I would recommend it. Um, obviously, it's a little brutal to watch, but I think it pairs really well with this one. Um, with that same question of like, yeah, are is there a correct response at all? Um, or is this sort of an unspeakable thing that we have to s sit with? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's great that film gives us the way 
to do this because I feel like obviously turning it into like a sermon or something is just it's too much you can't you can't listen to you shouldn't listen to that I don't think um and art has always been very good at letting us dwell in uncertainty and that also makes people nervous but putting it in a narrative context like women talking or the innocence or of gods and men um seems to like capture people's imaginations and get past barriers that we've been taught to put up by mm. religiosity or something like that mm, sure i want to turn now this is great i think we could go for another hour but just sensitive to your time i do want to talk to you about um the banshees of inisherin which is an, another uh, nominee for best picture and, and some other categories as well so this is set in a fictional island off the coast of Ireland in 1923 during the Irish Civil War. You have a character, Podrick, played by Colin Farrell, who's distressed when all of a sudden his lifelong friend, Colin, played by Brendan Gleeson, just abruptly announces he doesn't want to be friends anymore. Uh, Podrick is bewildered, tries to figure out why. Colin then says, like, leave me alone or I'll do some crazy things. As you write, um, he threatens to stop talking to him, like, in the most unhinged way possible. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it really feels like a fable uh, in, in some ways. Very funny, but also dark, certainly. And as you write, it's, like, kind of more than just, like, a friend breakup movie. And so mm -hmm. just wondering for you, like, what are the some of those things uh, that, that you notice that you think uh, a Catholic audience might be intrigued by? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's Ireland. <laughs> so, so there is that. Um, and there, you know, it's sort of that... I don't know. There's been a lot of chatter about like, you know, what is John or what is uh, Martin McDonough? Sorry, his his brother is John Michael McDonough, who wrote Calvary and or directed Calvary in those movies. So there's a lot of this floating around in the McDonough um, shared psyche here. And people say, oh, what does Martin McDonough know about the Irish? I don't know. What do I know about the Irish? Not that much. But um, there is this like combining of 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 questions ideas sort of latent beliefs about sin and guilt and um and and harmony and disharmony and all that stuff that's always in his work it's always there you know the last time these two actors teamed up was for um in bruges which is like a fantastic and fantastical movie that's kind of about dante um and hell uh but this one is i i think more i mean what really struck me and was interesting to me about it uh and what i wrote about was that um it's very intentionally and specifically set in the early days of the irish uh civil war um and I mean, the movie, again, plays out like a little bit of a fairy tale or something. They're, they're in this little town. They can see just across the way, the mainland, and it's so close that they can see, like, explosions and gunfight go on, going on. But it's as if it's like another world. They don't even um, seem to have any idea really what's going on. Uh, and they talk about it periodically. Um, and they talk about the fighting and right at the beginning of the movie that there's a date on the screen and that, you know, whenever that happens, you know, that that's on purpose for some reason, especially when it goes on to feel like a fairy tale. So um, that date coincides with an uh, important moment in the Irish Civil War. Um, and so they, you know, the the story kind of unfolds like a parable or something like that, where it's, it's a, it's two men who were basically like brothers um, being torn apart by something that seems like not even like it makes any sense. It's not like somebody did something. It's almost like somebody didn't 
do anything. <laughs> um, and it's like irreconcilable differences. Uh, and those irreconcilable differences are like quite important. And of course, the, the Civil War was not entirely, but in part driven by religious conflict. Um, I should I say was like that kind of conflict continues in both Ireland and Northern Ireland. There's a long history that I don't really, I can't uh, reel it off because it's not in my head, but I, you know, I knew there was something going on in this movie that was bigger than just uh, Brendan Gleeson doing crazy things to express how much he couldn't be around Colin Farrell. Um, and it, there's also this little piece of it, which again, I didn't write about, but the what Brendan Gleeson's character seems to be going through uh, is like a kind of, I mean, I don't know if it's like a dark night of the soul, but it's definitely like a malaise that's so profound um and sort of a awareness of his mortality that's so profound that he has he has almost pivoted on his access about who he is and and what he thinks is important in life and he's really dwelling on like um what like will he leave behind anything will his life had have mattered in the end and uh, Colin Farrell's character is not really <laughs> a serious person, and he's this is not something that would have ever occurred to him to think about. Um, but I think it's like quite relatable. And <laughs> at the moment, he was like, "It's not anything. I just can't. I can't do this anymore. I can't have talk about nothing. Like I can't do small talk anymore with you. Um, you're boring." <laughs> it's like, okay, well, all of us have thought that before. Let's be honest, right? Um, so him sort of thinking about the significance of a life, I think, is important. But yeah, the Civil War part sort of says it's not just these two guys. It's like this happens on a national scale and we see it over and over throughout history uh, where this fighting is not merely driven by like, I want this piece of land, but you have it. Um, but more like we have profoundly different ideas about what a good state would look like or what a good society would look like um and then those become much bigger conflicts based on many other things and they're just not quite as reconcilable as we might like to think that they are you can't just there's no magic bullet you can't just fix the problem hmm. yeah i was reminded watching this of uh i had been at a, a conference with the the author christopher beha speaking author and editor and he had talked about like Catholic, the Catholic imagination or things that we, we see and it kind of made like a distinction between like Roman and Catholic and talking about literature or film and like so like a Roman depiction would be like, like the characters are Catholic. It's like in there every day. It's just like and you see that there. That's certainly happening. But that mm -hmm. like, but Catholic maybe like we're talking about bigger themes like, you know, the body or the sin and redemption cycles or whatever things that are are kind of there more deeply under the surface. And so you have that Roman feel, certainly like there's like, they go to church, they go to confession, you know, the priest is yeah. like inoffensive and tries to help a little bit, but generally kind of doesn't really, can't really help very much. But there, yeah. so I think like there's that layer, but then I think underneath, as you're saying, like some of these, yeah, bigger questions about like living together, those religious conflicts, like what, what do we, yeah. So in some ways, similar to women talking in that, like what, what do we do when we are like at, there's like these huge conflicts and there's not like a clear answer yeah. to like solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and again, I think film is good at 
in some ways best <laughs> at doing this um in part because a movie is like two hours long maybe three hours long um and tying up everything at the end which is a thing that happens all the time with films is uh is something people like but uh the better movies tend to leave things a little open-ended and ambiguous so that you're left turning the movie over and over in your mind um, when you leave, which is, you know, what artists want you to do is to be thinking about the work. Um, and even television, which has a great uh, capacity to um, expand characters and give time to development and, you know, make us kind of understand even more what's going into all of these situations. Uh, TV does have sort of the tendency to tie things up in the end, um, in part because it is so long and you spend so much time with these people, you're kind of owed it. Uh, and I get that. I get mad when that doesn't happen at the end of a TV show. Um, but film really can kind of swoop into your life and knock you sideways. And then you walk out of the theater or get off your couch, I guess. And you're like, whoa, you know, and you're just left with this impression that you have to turn over and over. And I think when it comes to things like the problem of evil or conflict or just like these really basic primal questions that we're dealing with every single day, um, especially if um, you're trying to re reconcile it with faith or explore it through the lens of faith, um, you can't, I mean, you really can't beat a movie for that. I do want to ask just one last question before I let you go. You said film can kind of swoop into your life. And question for you as a critic, and you've written about how you didn't really grow up watching a lot of movies kind of disconnected from uh, pop culture. And now only in the past, you know, 20 years or so kind of gotten into this and now it's your living. Um, and then you kind of in writing about that also talked how as a critic you've kind of found this niche of like kind of seeing kind of symbols catching things like in like the augustine reference in women talking or the irish civil war stuff going on in uh banshees um mm -hmm. and and noticing those things and then so maybe just could you talk a little bit about how you watch movies what you're looking for and you yeah. wrote too about your own like experience in scripture study uh, mm -hmm. as a younger person and like really close reading. And I found that really interesting. So just share yeah, a little bit about I was, that background. Sure. I mean, I was raised in, I was raised evangelical and in a church that uh, very much believed in reading the Bible a lot, like every bit of it. Uh, one year Bible reading plans where you would read the whole thing, you know, and memorizing verses and whatever. That was a big part of my life. And we learned inductive Bible study, which was sort of where you would go through word by word. I don't think it's all that different from like Lectio Divina or something, but it's, but we would have concordances, you know, where you would look up the meaning of every single word and then you would really think about it um, and how the language mattered and how it fit into the context of the time and all of those things. Um, and I'm not saying that's the only way to learn close reading. Lots of people learn it in their college English classes, but it certainly was a way um, to be introduced very early. And then when I was in college, I was in university, which had a big emphasis on kind of the same thing. Um, and I think, you know, it, it sort of struck me that this really informs how I think about a movie, which is that if someone says something, I'm immediately trying to think about the 18 different shades of meaning that could be in that. Um, I think I think about it as a writer, which is what I am, which is that, you know, writers make very specific decisions about why things happen the way they do. And directors 
don't tend to make mistakes, you know? <laughs> Directors do things on purpose. This is how artists work. So I'm looking for those on purpose things and trying to think about what they mean in the context of the film. Now, that's not like revolutionary. That's just like a normal thing I think people do. But as a critic, it's especially important to me because I'm not trying to, I don't think interpret is quite the right word. Um, I'm just trying to notice. Uh, to me, criticism is really, really, really close attention, followed by an attempt at describing what I, as me, saw. Uh, which is different from what you saw. So criticism is, in essence, uh, ekphrastic writing. I'm I'm closely describing the thing I saw, hoping that you, in reading it, will be able to see it too, and that that might open up your experience of the work of art. So, you know, I've been writing f for a long time, for 13, 12, or, wait, no, what year is it? Oh, like 15 or 16 years. Is that right? 17 years. Okay. 17 <laughs> years of writing criticism. You, um, you know, I, I've seen trends change over how people read reviews or criticism or whatever you want to call them. Um, but most people now seem to read a lot of that stuff after they see the film. And that really is much preferred by me and almost all critics because um, the work we're trying to do is not like give you a thumbs up or thumbs down so you know whether to see it, but rather to help you dig into your experience. And I think that, um, yeah, I think learning to study the text closely as a kid in church um, and realize that even the translation I'm looking at, you know, is going to miss nuances in the original text and that those nuances can open up new avenues of of thinking about what the text says um, and that that has implications for other texts and for our lives, um, that really, really uh, informs the way that I approach art generally, in this case, film specifically. Um, I'm not like, I don't know a lot about how to edit a film, <laughs> you know, and I cannot at all tell you what an actor is doing. Um, but Apparently, I notice things and uh, and sometimes things other people don't notice. And then, you know, and then I have to kind of describe it to you and hopefully write it beautifully enough that if you start reading the article, you will also finish reading the article. <laughs> um, we're past your time. I don't know if you had like two minutes to talk generally about like faith themes that you're seeing. And you've written about plays, yeah. and movies, um, uh, just a lot of church stuff out there right yes. now. Um, is that a trend? Has that been going on for a long time? So I was writing a lot about an increase in biblical themes and religious questioning that I was seeing largely from agnostic directors. Not entirely, but... Or, or directors like Martin Scorsese, who certainly believes in God, <clears throat> but what he believes in when he says God, he's not sure about... And that's always been part of his life. And um, and then that went away for a few years. And it was kind of a bummer for me because it's what I like writing about. <clears throat> but we weren't seeing silence, you know, that that had happened. Or we weren't um, seeing First Reformed, another great movie for a few years. Um, but I do feel like it's come back to us. And I feel like one way that I'm seeing it come back is stories about religious communities. I think some of this is obviously due to the news and 
response to people my age, sort of elder millennials who grew up at the height of uh, like white evangelical culture, starting to be experienced enough to make our own stories about it. So I've seen some of that popping up. I also think people are just more generally aware of and interested in those stories. Unfortunately, in part because of all the bad news that's come out. But generally, um, it does seem like religious communities are the focus now, which is different than it has been in the past. Hmm. Well, that's uh, there are plenty of more Jesuit movies to make. Uh, so, so we'll have to we'll <laughs> yes. have to do that. Um, and so thank you so much, Alyssa, for, for your time and for all, all your great work. And we'll, we'll link to uh, some of your pieces uh, recently and where folks can, can find you and sign up for your newsletter and all that good stuff. So thank you again for, for the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.